Hi, Pascal. Hey, what up? How are you, How doing? you doing? We just missed that on recording, but it was uh, <laughs> Pascal made the best German entrance into the, uh, into the hello. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely to be here. Guten Tag. Yeah. Oh, Steve. I know some German, very yeah. little, but luckily your English is good. Yeah, uh, I like to think so, but uh, yeah, my German roots come through most of the times. Well, you know, based on the uh, the first message I just got from you, Pascal. Hallo, Yusuf. Ich möchte Sie als Kontakt aufnehmen. <laughs> good accent. Real, <laughs> real quick, taking a loo. Is loo poo? Uh, with a spelling mistake, I'm sorry. That that's okay. So we, was it loo lavatory or poo? Uh, loo like uh, L O O like just a quick P. I'm sorry <laughs> for the details. Poo. We've solved the mystery. Do we have a would you rather question? Oh no, let's let's take one. Steve's been waiting for it. I, can tell. <laughs> I did think about this. Like, <laughs> what are they going to pull what up? Are they ask me? We have different grades depending on. Who huh? comes on? Like, if we think they can take uh, it, yeah. we push it a little bit, or Yusuf pushes it a little bit. But we have some, like, would you rather see three seconds into the future or three seconds into the past? So that's like the family Ooh. friendly one, but we, <laughs> think, we think for you guys we can go to an RPE 10. So, ten. absolutely. Let's go to failure. Could have, could have done no more would you rathers. Pascal, you are excellent. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I've, I've just got such a thing for the German accent. It is, uh... Uh, the funny thing is that, um, I don't know, when we recorded the first episode, there was one guy actually thinking that I'm from South Africa. Uh, we don't normally put this much effort in, guys, so hope, hope you appreciate this. Yeah, it's really annoying. <laughs> <Waste time. laughs> uh... German yeah, efficiency, so... Yeah, totally. <laughs> Just pick one at random. No. No. no <laughs> See, th- some of these are... Uh, it's not so much that you can't handle it, it's that Audience. we think the listeners won't be able to uh, <laughs> to manage. We, um, we interviewed Andy Morgan. Oh, yeah. And he said... Um, he said on the podcast that he's quite specific and that he only coaches men. And that offended... <clears throat> quite a few people oh wow yeah so that's why we have to we're constantly treading this line of like how can we make it we have to make it funny but not not yeah. so niched that it offends like half the audience and drops <laughs> drops our listeners so you're listening to the propane fitness podcast your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks with your hosts yusuf and johnny simple rules dramatic results okay johnny has shotgun knotted to uh in- introduce this podcast <laughs> not shotgunned not shotgunned not um <laughs> if you're aware the, the uh, you may also know that as bagsy so <clears throat> we are with Steve Hall and Pascal Floor from Revive Stronger. Very pleased to have these guys on board. We've got some pretty uh, good topics to discuss as well. Hey guys. Hi, good to be here. Hello. <laughs> so, Hello. as you may have guessed, Pascal is extremely German. <laughs> extremely. So, to start things off, would you rather have sex with everybody or nobody? Holy hell. Mm. <laughs> um, I can give a clear answer on that. Come on then, Pascal. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have 
I'd rather not have sex with everyone because uh, I have myself and I can please myself <laughs> different ways. Okay. So uh, if I had the choice, I would rather not have sex with everyone. Okay. So have sex with no one over everyone. Exactly. Fine. To some degree, yes. Fine. Good logic. My, my um, thoughts, I'm going with my instinct and it was to just fuck everything. Mm. That was my instinct. <laughs> so evolutionarily, good, but it would immediately put you into a deficit all the time. Oh, God. You're guaranteed disease as well. You're guaranteed a... Oh. a, a the human race is screwed. I screw everyone. They're all diseased. <laughs> yeah, you would, you you'd, would spread... Your disease? Yeah. <laughs> would you? Because there'll be a percentage of people that you have sex with prior to having sex with someone with a disease that don't have... Depends what order you do There'll be it, a it? point at which you get HIV or something similar, and then, then it probably stops being fun, I imagine. So I think what you need to do is line up the people that have got the diseases <laughs> in increasing order of severity towards the end. Everyone in the world? Everyone, yeah, right. and then just work through it like that. So I not wear a condom? That's true. Simple, I don't know. Simple, <laughs> simple rules for simple solutions. Yeah, there, there are I some open. <laughs> there are left some open questions with this question in general. I mean, okay. do you need to have uh, to to enjoy the whole process? Mm. Yeah, or can you, can you choose to actually have sex with the people who are ugly towards the end, or could you put them on the on the beginning? So. That you have the worst thing at the beginning and the best at the end. So it's, it's an exercise in gratification and delayed gratification or immediate <laughs> yeah. gratification. So I mean, probably the... Oh, God, that is, a, that's a great point. You, you need databases, spreadsheets. Mm. Like You'd have to write a macro. You couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> you, you wouldn't be able to do it manually, would you? Yeah. Like, there's too much data to sift through. But wearing a condom does certainly make it simpler. <laughs> safer. I'm yeah, safety safer. first. I so, mean... So, well, you don't need to worry, Pascal. You're never having sex again. So. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the moral of the story, thanks to Steve, is <clears throat> pra <laughs> practice safe sex. Always wear a condom. Great. Next question. <laughs> Would you rather be able to transform into a blueberry at will or have blueberries whisper to you and tell you the secrets of the universe that nobody else will ever believe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to transform into a blueberry. Really? Yeah. So dangerous. Why? I don't really know. I uh, <laughs> I feel answer. like if I had the whispering, I'd drive, I'd go insane, and I think I would be maybe taken into asylum or something crazy. It depends. And I'd prefer to be a blueberry. Hmm. I would absolutely go for the second option. But, yeah, but me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the problem is, as you said, Steve, you can get institutionalized pretty. It depends quickly. what the secrets are. Secrets might be really mundane, and things that you things that you just like. Oh yeah, fine, I expected that. Or it might be completely like life life altering, and then you have to try and explain to somebody that blueberries have explained to you the meaning of meaning of life and stuff, which would probably be quite stressful. But I still think being a blueberry would be more stressful. Definitely. So yeah. like what, what do blueberries do? They get eaten. Like they get put in people in bodybuilders' they, porridge. They, and... but they, they are super. Cool. So antioxidants. True. 
They blueberry, don't they? They blueberry all day and all night. <laughs> so. Short half-life as well, or shelf life. <laughs> yeah, you go wrinkly. So, Steve, safe sex, blueberry. Pascal, no wants sex. the secrets of, of the universe, but no yeah, sex. Why are we actually a team, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> because opposites attract. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're German, I'm British. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 100% German. Cool. That was good. So, um, guys, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your story? I know, Pascal, it's a big day for you today, so um, we'd certainly want to hear a bit about that. Oh, yeah. Should I just start? Go for it. Okay. Um, as you already mentioned, uh, today is a really big day for me because I quit my job, my old job, not the job as an uh, online personal trainer. Yeah. Yay! So that's, <laughs> that's awesome and that's, it's quite an, a relief and uh, a lot of pressure comes off my shoulders because I just wanted to focus on online personal training, helping people and spreading the word, bringing value to the people. And I couldn't do it in the end because I was still uh, busy with my day job. Yeah, what I did was I was working as a post artist. A post artist is a uh, image. Um, I was working on images for commercials and stuff like that. So I was only in front of a computer, not interacting with uh, people and sitting in a dark place, a dark room the whole day. Yeah? And uh, it was just something which was against the things I wanted to do. And I, I, I see myself as a person or people guy. I love to interact and hear stories and uh, see different uh, experiences and uh, paths when it comes to life in general and I always wanted to help people and I couldn't do it with the old job so um, this is why I actually transitioned to doing actually the, the online personal training stuff and uh, I was coming from a powerlifting background uh, was powerlifting for quite a while um, with yeah, kind of an okay-ish total I wasn't uh, one of the elite here in Germany, and uh, powerlifting isn't that popular or successful here in Germany in general. And for me, I was like um, struggling with a hip injury for quite a while, which is called a femoral acetabular impingement, uh, also known as FAI, which is a, uh, just as a short info, a bone deformity, which caused some cartilage damage and a labrum tear. And uh, last year, it was that I was preparing for an upcoming uh, powerlifting meet. And I needed to stop all along because I was injured to that degree that I needed to undergo a, uh, an injury, which I had back in December 2016. A surgery. A surgery. Exactly. <clears throat> what did I say? A injury. injury. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. A surgery. Give myself yeah. another injury just to, <laughs> do, do, do the other hip, just to balance it out. I was injured uh, to the point where I had an injury. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I had a surgery back in December 2016 in which I um, kind of got it fixed. So they they shaped my bone. They fixated and, and um, fixed the labrum itself and filled uh, the cartilage with some kind of conroe filler. Uh, which is kind of this artificial uh, cartilage, which now 
my the the doctors hope that my body implements it as uh yeah original cartilage at some point and um i was always playing with the thought of transitioning over to uh bodybuilding back in 2015 i was already working together with jeff alberts from team 3dmj and uh now with the surgery and the injury and recovering from it, I was just like, okay, maybe now is the time to actually make the transition and focus on bodybuilding itself. And now I started my contest prep uh, my, for my first bodybuilding competition here this year. Uh, I will step on stage later this year, around September to October, something like that. And again, I'm... Um, doing the competition or the contest prep with Jeff Alberts from Team 3DMJ. And yeah, that's about it. Fantastic news, man. And there's, there's a lot of stuff there that we want to unpack and explore over the over the episode for sure. But first of all, you know, congratulations on, on quitting your job and uh, making it full time into this. Yeah. It's certainly something that we've all we've all been through and it's, uh, it's a big, big uh, milestone moment for you in your life. It is, it is. And I mean, I was... <clears throat> kind of procrastinating for a long time or I was always stuck in the moment where I w wasn't risking it taking the action a step uh, I was only as so many people are nowadays I have the feeling that so many people are stuck in the situation where they're simply just learning the whole time but not taking action when it comes to actually uh, applying the knowledge and go out and do what they actually want to do and they are always complaining about, oh, this sucks, that sucks, but uh, they don't want to actually change something. And this is uh, something I, I, I was always struggling with because I, I am the person who told to different clients in the past that uh, if they don't want to do it or do anything at all when it comes to training, nutrition, or in life general, uh, then they need to simply do a change. And they aren't forced to actually do those kind of things uh, uh, unless there are some special circumstance which uh, doesn't allow them to change. Uh, but uh, I was always trying to be that mentor for them, but not applying it for myself. And now simply came the time where I needed to do or take action and I want to actually pr uh, do what I'm preaching and it is a a big step for myself and I already told to Steve when I joined Revive, uh, Revive Stronger, the team, uh, that for me my whole life changed here in the beginning of this year uh, and um, yeah the, the future is pretty exciting I must say. That's awesome, man. I mean, we both have been through similar experiences. So I quit my job a year, roughly a year ago. Yusuf was a bit longer than that. But he's also doing a medical degree. Oh. Just, just for fun. Um, yeah, but, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You know, not working nine to five anymore. Got all this time. Why not? Why not yeah. get a medical degree? In? Um, but yeah, it's, I remember it feeling very, a mix, mix of, of exciting and scary at the same time. You have there's all these unknowns of, like, am I really going to make money on the internet? Like, can you even do that? Is that, and, and I, I had lots of friends and family going like, what are you going to do now? Like, I'm going to go be a personal trainer on the internet. I'm like, okay. What, you tell people what to eat? I could do that. I could do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> give, give me an email account. That's easy. But uh, no, it's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah and so there's, 
there's so much truth to it uh, that so many people are just um, they're not not taking the action which is actually needed to to do the transition and it's risky and uh, scary at the same time and uh, but I think if you want to be successful and happy you need to step out of your comfort zone at some point because otherwise nothing will change mm. if you don't take the action it's absolutely risky and very much it's uh it's easy to get comfortable as you said in oh. in a job that you get the security of a of a consistent salary and you turn up in a nice warm room with a computer and and it's all <laughs> i love a warm room <laughs> um, <laughs> you have a warm room now man like it's... <laughs> and i've just dived into propane and i'm just cold all the time and it... <laughs> yeah very much um steve you can you tell us a little bit about your background as well? I know we, so we had a chat on um, podcast number 27. Um, I don't think it was number 27, but I'm, I'm going to pretend. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Do you want me to find out? Yeah, let's find out. Okay. <laughs> if you want to go back and listen to that, guys, it's uh, Steve Hall and Mike Samuels. Yep. And it's episode... No, no, no. no. no you can't put that kind of pressure on me, man. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> no worries. Should I go over... I can kind of... People can listen to that again, but um, yeah, I mean, I had a similar transition to you guys into the online industry. Um, I guess I was kind of almost forced into it. It was a bit of a strange, well, it was a bit strange. For me, I had a standard day job and I went and learned to be a personal trainer on the side, kind of doing um, weekend courses and stuff like that because I always had an interest in personal training. I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. Um, so it was a kind of like a security blanket. Why not? It's interesting. And then an opportunity arose where basically I had already grown a bit of a social media presence. I had a YouTube channel, I had Instagram, uh, and I also kind of trained at a local gym and there were some people there who knew me. And an opportunity arose where someone wanted to bring me on as a personal trainer for kind of their little private outlet. And so I handed in my notice because this was kind of an opportunity I couldn't miss. And then that actually ended up falling through um, which was really unfortunate and quite stressful at the time. But luckily, I was living at home uh, and a local gym that I actually trained in had an opening there and they already knew I kind of was intelligent. I kind of knew what I was doing. And so I managed to get the role there. Um, and then during that time was also my first contest prep. And I think it was a combination of wanting to be a lazy bugger and uh, do more online stuff and also the fact there was a lot of younger kids around that in that gym surrounding that area so I ended up kind of having them online because I did their nutrition and training programming because they don't want someone kind of telling them how like you've got an extra rep left in there or you've got like this many sets left and doing that sort of thing so I ended up transitioning almost to the online side via that so I did a bit of hybrid stuff and I always recommend that to personal trainers now if they want to get into the online kind of mainly a good way to do it is to kind of do a hybrid platform and then from there, so I had the opportunity to kind of move into London with my girlfriend, who I currently live with now, Charlotte. And it was a big risk to take that plunge and just move out. And my parents were the same. They were like, don't do this. You haven't got a stable income, blah, blah, blah. Um, what it, like, they didn't really understand the job either. And I think there is an element of if you do do this, you do need to kind of just work your ass off. And you need to be good at what you're doing and you need to provide people results. Otherwise, you will fall flat on your face. 
Uh, but if you are confident you can do that, then do it. But if you're not, then don't, because it is it is a risk. Um, <clears throat> so you need the, to be able to do that. It's one of the double-edged swords, isn't it, of online, in that for, you know, immediately you can serve so many more people, but at the same time, there's so many other people doing the same thing. And as we've written about, um, anyone can set up and call themselves a coach. And so instantly the, the supply just is a, is a mm. flood. And so, yeah, yeah, you do have to differentiate yourself country. with good results. 26. Yes. Oh, nice. Did you, you said 28, didn't you? 27. Yeah, close enough. So it's not called Interview with Steve Hall on our podcast. So that's why I was like, oh my God. Like, I thought we deleted it. That's embarrassing if we have. But yeah, no, it's there. Episode 26 died adherence. Nearly, well, over a year ago. Yeah, I can't February believe. Crazy. Crazy. But, crazy um, times. The, yeah, the, the coaching thing, I think it's, it's probably... I don't know what the ratio would be, but if, you, if you're a local PT, you obviously deal with a market that is fixed by radius or by, by immediate location. And as soon as you're online, as Yusuf says, that barrier doesn't exist anymore, but yep. there's different barriers. And I think getting somebody results over a computer screen is harder to do, um, requires more systems and infrastructure, and you need to understand a whole host of other stuff like you know marketing, um, email automations, and, and all the stuff that I imagine you guys have, have got into as well. Um, and there is this, this definite element of, um, because it's online, it's not very tangible and you can't really explain to people succinctly what you do. So I've had like over the past year that I've been doing this, the number of situations I've been in at like weddings and parties where people go like, what do you do? And it's like, oh God. And the, the first question is, oh, so <clears throat> personal trainer and you, you have to well, like, oh. well, yes, in a way. <laughs> like, so do you have a gym? No, you don't have a gym. So do you, you well, train clients though? <laughs> well, not not in person, no. Well, <laughs> we're basically Joe Wicks. That's what we are. Mm. We're all Joe Wicks. That's it. They, they'll understand. That. You know what? That's what I'm going to start saying. <laughs> like, what what do you do? I'm Joe Wicks. No, you're not. Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> how, how do you know I'm not? Do you see Joe Wicks here? No, because he's right here. You could say porn star, and then I imagine that ends a conversation. Why <laughs> <laughs> get that. started? It's one way to just completely, you know, like curveball sidetrack. Like, oh, you're on your porn side. That's very nice. So we'll just go over here a second. They'd believe you, Pascal. If you said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just said that maybe it gets the ball started. Uh, like, not the balls. It gets the balls but, started. Or both. Or both, yeah. Yeah. Could, you could end up down a, in a very it's... weird selection conversation. Oh, yes. I really hope that's a German expression. It gets the ball started. The balls. <laughs> yeah. The balls, yeah, with the S at the end. Brilliant. So, um, what we wanted to discuss in this episode is some stuff about, because both of you are prepping for bodybuilding. So I wanted to really ask um, Pascal about your transition from powerlifting into bodybuilding and how that's what you've been able to carry through into that. Um, and then also some stuff about Steve's experience with his last prep and uh, an accident and how that impacted his progress. So um, Pascal, can you, so I, we, we interviewed Eric Helms a few months ago mm. and I think he had the same acetabular impingement. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've seen him talking about it. Um, so yeah, I think that's also caused him some issues with, with squatting and he's had to just not squat throughout a prep and then only in the final sort of two or three weeks before a powerlifting meet, he squats in his competition style, which is obviously a big hindrance mm. to uh, powerlifting, not being able to do one of the competitions. You should maybe explain what the injury is. I know that Pascal did, but am I right? I think it's when the end of your hip turns like a hammer. 
shape exactly. like a hammer instead of a ball and starts to eat away at the labrum inside your hip, essentially. Immensely painful. Very well explained, yes. Yeah. It, it really it is, and I mean... So it just kind of seeps in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the medicine. Uh, no, but it is. And I mean, for me personally, it was always like when I squatted high volume style and I worked together with uh, Mike Tushira from uh, Reactive Training Systems for quite a while. And he's pretty much known for uh, programming in a high volume style. And I was squatting around three times a week. So uh, one times or once in a week with a competition stance and then two times a week with variance. Uh, but the problem was always I was getting into that deep hip flexion where it always caused the pain and my um, the, the, the hip socket and the femur always touched each other. So at the end of the workout or during the workout, I never had or experienced any problems or pain. But at the end of the workout or the leading uh, or the, the upcoming weeks and stuff like that, I was always experiencing this pinch, pinching sensation, and which then forced me to stop all along with squatting or deep hip flexion in general, um, which wasn't really beneficial for the whole contest prep or competition preparation itself. And... It got so far in 2016 that I needed to stop my competition prep, uh, the meat prep, yeah, let's call it that, um, because the, the pain just got so severe that I wasn't able to squat. Uh, and the problem with it was just that I couldn't progress the way I wanted to with the volume I've done. And this was just the reason for me or just a sign for me that maybe it's now the time for undergo the surgery itself because at some point you just need to do it because it's, it's a bone deformity and it doesn't go away by doing nothing. And this, I think Eric Helms talked about it as well, that at some point he will undergo a surgery somewhere in the future. But as long as, as it's not super necessary, um, there's no real need for it because it is invasive. I wasn't able to um, walk for six weeks. I needed wow. to walk on crutches, which was a, a bomber. However, I just focused on upper body work. So really bro style disco pumper you know <laughs> disco pumper <laughs> you don't see the legs in the disco you know i want to be a disco uh, pumper that's going to be the title of the, of the podcast disco pumper <laughs> and just <laughs> really focused on my upper body then and uh, did a high volume there because my body was able to recover or had a much higher capacity of recovering from uh, doing way more upper body work then because uh, let's face it I mean the squat the deadlift those heavy compound movements tax your body and CNS pretty much and when you can't do them or, or you're not able to train your lower body I mean you can get away with pretty high volume when it comes to your upper body uh, and um, for I'm me still it laughing was... at disco pumper sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm laughing at you <laughs> please continue uh, 
and I'm, I'm living here in Berlin, yeah, and there are quite a lot of people who are like that. Never train legs, only the upper body, because in the disco, you don't see the legs, so who cares? Yeah. Unless you're wearing shorts, which you shouldn't be in a disco. In a disco. Also, <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, Pascal, I think the, the foresight that you've had to, to say, right, I'm going to switch focus and not try and ram my head against a wall is, is quite impressive, because I think uh, it's often at odds with this beast mode mindset of mm. especially with powerlifters that we're just going to try and train through injury and and really powerlifting something that as much as we hate to admit it it has a shorter shelf life in our lives than our health and mm -hmm. uh yeah. if we're you know the, someone someone said powerlifting is the sport that um is only to impress other fat men in a gym while you're lifting <laughs> um <laughs> whereas bodybuilding is the kind of thing that um you carry it around with you all the time and i think being to for the sake of that to just sacrifice your health and to make things worse when you had a clear signal from your body that actually you need to change focus with your training is really good rather than making things worse i think even just the the concept of competing you know the the evidence that's been shown that even this slight psychological hint of that hurts a little bit you can't you, by definition you you wouldn't be able to open open the taps as it were as much as you need to be to be able to progress competition to competition mm -hmm. and in training and if you've got that that niggling thing in the back of your head of like my hip's gonna hurt or this this rep's gonna hurt i just think you'll you're likely to compensate in a different way shift cause another injury absolutely yeah so it's, yeah. yeah you've definitely made a, a very smart decision yeah but uh i have to say i uh, i've been carrying it with me for quite a while i was um, experiencing this kind of pain for over a year and it got diagnosed back in 2014 already uh, and i always pushed the thought and the actual surgery on the back end to some degree and pushed it just in front of me and i simply didn't want to take time off of the gym because I knew, okay, when I undergo this surgery, I will be out of the gym for quite a while and I will not be able to do any powerlifting. And um, this really messed with my mind to some extent. But then again, I came to the point in 2016 where I w simply wasn't able to progress when it came to my squat because the pain just got so severe that I simply couldn't handle the volume I needed to do to make actual progress. And I couldn't even do the, the intensity as well. Because so then all training becomes is you're just coming into a place and hurting yourself <laughs> yeah. with, no, with no real goal and yeah, totally. insanity. That's how my training feels, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not maybe nice. I, maybe I need to become a disco pumper. <laughs> I'm in full disco pumper mode as well. You are. At the minute, so, uh, yeah, so you've just been training around a back injury for a year? Uh, yeah, about, about eight yeah. months now. I've not been able to squat or deadlift properly, really. So doing the same thing. And yeah, very much your experience matches mine. Um, Steve, as well, you, you were hit in the hypothalamus by a van. Is that right? Van just came up and just, just hit you right in the hypothalamus. Precision. <laughs> a little white van just God, drove in. <laughs> no, we shouldn't joke about it. It was terrible, you said. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it was a long time ago now, though. Um, so it was my second year of uni. So I was not even uh, twenty-one at this point. So that's over kind of six years ago. 
Um, so absolutely ages ago. Um, but yeah, I was on, I used to do, I was into kind of just general health fitness. I went to the gym, I ran and I was just on like a usual, I used to do this 10 kilometer run at uni and, um, I was on for like an all time PB and I had like my Garmin watch on and I could see it was telling me that I was like ahead of myself. Um, the, and, uh, I came to some traffic lights that were flashing Amber and I just went for it without looking and then, yeah, that's where the, the little white van <laughs> drove into my hypothalamus. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I had a, um, I had some, I have some scars from it. I fractured my skull. But those kind of short-term injuries were not bad at all. I mean, I was let go out of hospital in Nottingham where it happened after, I think, I was only in there two nights. And wow. then I got home and I was basically kind of, in lots, I was vomiting. All I remember is lots of vomiting um, and like almost blacking out at home. And I got my parents took me to A and E, and then I was in hospital for almost a month after that. Um, and the the real issue I suffered initially was very low sodium levels, and I can't remember the terms and everything for those sort of things. I think it's hyperatremia or something along those lines. Hyperatremia, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they were, I, I essentially <laughs> wouldn't be, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't allowed to be released until my sodium levels were at a point where I wasn't at risk of having a seizure. Um, so okay. yeah, I was just, I was basically kind of, I relate this a lot to the deep, dark times in contest prep because that's how I can't, you, like, that's how you feel. I felt like I had no kind of, I brain fog all the time. I can't really remember days they just passed I didn't really have an appetite I didn't really eat anything so it took me a long time to recover from that and once I was able to leave hospital I was kind of having blood tests every week I was on diuretics um, trying to get my sodium levels kind of at a healthy level I was also on a water restriction um, and what I can remember is my I used to fill up this was my water restriction was the innocent smoothies that I think they're like 250 mils or something the small ones that was my water for the day wow. because if I had more than that, I was at risk of kind of going into those too low sodium levels. So just, it was crazy. Just permanently um, making weight for a meat yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the time the, when you least want to as well. <laughs> the crazy thing is with that as well is the only thing I could really allow, I, I mean, I still love health and fitness. I wanted to kind of, I was very skinny after coming out of hospital. I'd lost a lot of weight. I think I lost two stone during hospital. Um, and because I wasn't moving, a lot of kind of any little muscle mass I had basically had vanished as well. So the gym was somewhere I kind of felt a bit safe um, and something I could do because um, it was it's under your own time, you're under your own control. I didn't want to go running on the road again. Um, and so I actually went, that's when I was, I was on this water restriction, but also like on like 4,000 calories of like clean calories trying to bulk up at the wow. same time. Um, so my body was in a bit of a weird place, like lots of food, not much liquid. Um, and I think mentally I was in a, in a funny place as well, where I just wasn't really sure what I was doing. It was very stressful. Um, and it was only until after my sodium levels eventually balanced themselves out where I was okay. And I really take for granted now, like drinking liters upon liters of water. It baffles me to think back that I could only have 250 mils. And how kind of incredible the human body is. Um, but yeah, and then after I had eventually, I bulked up and I was kind of like, as you were, Alan Aragon calls like a folk. So I was kind of in that fat bulked mode. 
I was kind of recovered from my sodium levels, but I had developed like uh, what they called moobs. Basically, I, I like man boobs completely. I had lumps under my nipples, and it was actually I was worried it was cancer, but it was gynecomastia. So I went to the hospital. I got like they actually did like uh, the the gel on the nipple, and like the they have um, pregnant women get. I forget what that's called. Um, but yeah, luckily it wasn't cancer, but it was gynecomastia. And so I had my testosterone levels checked and my testosterone levels were basically like right at the lowest, like very, very low to a point at which I needed to take testosterone replacement therapy. And so I was diagnosed, um, I was given prescribed a testosterone gel to rub onto my nipples. Um, (laughs) yeah, to, to get rid of the, the gyno, um, and not only did it get rid of the gyno, but it brought my levels back up to normal. I could, and I didn't even, because the low sodium and all of that took kind of precedence, I didn't realize in such a bad way, like testosterone-wise, I was, I was pretty damn depressed. I wasn't very happy with my life at this point. I couldn't, I, I didn't have like any facial hair particularly. I didn't have like much body hair. That came back, I, like I can grow a beard now, which is like amazing to me, because at that time I just thought nothing was gonna happen. And then after, I think it was only about a month or so of treatment, I wanted to come off it because I was still much into this bodybuilding and I wanted to compete naturally. Um, and that was kind of a big thing for me. So they allowed me to trial coming off it. And thankfully, I sustained normal, low to normal um, testosterone levels. So that was kind of the backstory of like my whole accident, where that all happened. Um, wow. And yeah, it was kind of, I don't talk about it that much, but when I do go back to it and revisit it, it's kind of like, wow, that all happened. It's kind of crazy. Quite a journey. So we, I mean, we, we make light of it, but actually it's really catastrophic um, after effects by the sound of it as well. If you were, do you, you feel know, terrible now? I, I feel awful. <laughs> well, no, but, I mean, but you've, you've got a great attitude towards it. And uh, I think, yeah, if you had the hyponatremia and vomiting, brain fog, uh, gyno, like a huge amount of things, like <laughs> things that you wouldn't expect, I guess, to come after a head injury. So mm. did, let me ask you, did the brain fog lift when you started on the TRT? Because I've heard people uh, report that there's a relationship. So actually the, the brain fog went when I was basically, basically after I had my sodium levels like in control, even with the diuretics, that's when the brain fog basically lifted. Once I had that under control, it was fine. I didn't notice anything from the TRT in that regard, actually. So there was a, a very noticeable difference, I imagine, between pre-TRT and while you were on TRT in terms of mood, general yeah. mindset, psychology, etc. Any Any change in lifting performance or anything like that? Probably. Um, I can't remember particularly kind of, I didn't track my training as well as what I do now and have all those tools in place, but huge changes like physically and like energy levels. I was like depressed, down, had no libido and then just kind of like, that's why I want to fuck everything basically (laughs) now. (laughs) I suppose also like it's hard to tell if if you're eating 4,000 calories of clean food, which is not easy in itself (laughs) and like experiencing the kind of rebound from muscle loss noob gains um and the rest of it as well i imagine it's quite a nice a lot going on. cocktail yeah mm. yeah totally Tasty i had colada. five five levels were not good um fiber got out of control and protein was like 400 grams or something absolutely oh. ludicrous because charles poliquin says so basically <laughs> yeah. bcaa is 30 grams <laughs> 30 grams of bca tablets during during your lifting <laughs> lovely Wow. 
Mm. So yeah, some pretty uh, you you both had some some setbacks, I guess, to your training. Um, what's what's carried through? What what have you what lessons have you learned from um, from that, and how do you bring that into the bodybuilding? 